0: Inside Books with Breeda Brown Welcome to Inside Books a programme about the magical world of writing I'm Breeda Brown and I'm an avid book lover I really love listening to authors tell their stories so in each episode of Inside Books we chat to well-known authors and we also update you on other news from the books world You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes ensuring you never miss an episode Our Twitter handle is at Inside Books IRE where you'll also find news about some great book events happening around the country. Now, later in the programme, Catherine Quinn, the events manager with the Irish Book Awards, will be telling us about some of the great book festivals and events that will be happening in the coming months, including the Limerick Literary Festival, the Ennis Book Club Festival and the Mountains to Sea Festival. But first, Sinead Crowley is well known as the arts and media correspondent for RTE, but she's also a crime author and has written three books. The latest is called One Bad Turn. Sinead, I suppose before we discuss your writing, let's talk about your career as a journalist. What encouraged you to go down the journalism route?
1: Um, to be honest with you the journalism and the writing both really started around the same time going back to when I was five or six years of age oh, really good. yeah that young I was always the kid in the class who was writing the little poems and the little stories you know and even when it got as far as the leaving cert I always chose the, the write your story option rather than the you know the more kind of fact based essay option so so were you the, more creative then do you think yeah but always writing can't draw a straight line as they say or anything <laughs> yeah. like that you know but, but writing was something I always wanted to do but the fact of the matter is I didn't think you could, you know, leave school and become a novelist. So I figured I'd better do something a bit more constructive. So I applied for communications in DCU and did that and it turned out to be a fabulous degree because it gave you options. There was some creative writing in it but there was also journalism and also a lot of production that I wouldn't have had any experience of. So just the way things were. When I left college it was when local radio, I suppose, was really starting to Mm -hmm. bloom. It was 1993 so I started working in Radio Nalifa in Dublin and uh, was freelancing for the Northside People newspaper as well and then I got a job in Clare FM. So local radio was just the place to be working and, and that's that's how the career I suppose took off. You're from Dublin originally, mm-hmm. are you? So what was it like going from Dublin down to Clare? It was fantastic actually. I was 21 when I moved to Ennis, which is a brilliant town and um, I read, oh my God, what a complete Ashling recently, which is one <laughs> yeah. of my books of the year and that's all about people from the country moving up to Dublin. But actually it wasn't unlike that only in reverse because I was leaving the place that I'd lived all my life, you know, my friends moving down to a strange town. Ennis is fun meeting people living away from home. I had lived away from home for college for a couple of months but really living away from home first car first full-time job so it was absolutely brilliant you know And when did you move to RTE then? I moved to Radio Kerry first, so I did a year in Clare FM. Then I moved to Radio Kerry in 1997. I was there for about eight months, but that included the general election in 1997. And that was a fantastic experience. That was my first opportunity reporting on a general election. And at that stage, I knew news was something I was completely addicted to and wanted to do. Like there's nothing like covering a general election for a young reporter. Yeah, Yeah. to tell you what you wanted to do. At that stage then, TG Carr, I suppose, again, you know there's 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 luck involved in a lot of paths in life I speak Irish so TG Cahart was again kind of coming to fruition I hadn't joined it at the very beginning but by 1987 it was well in the way and RTE Irish language programmes in Dublin were looking for a reporter researcher so you would be based in RTE in Dublin but working for a programme that went out on TG Cahar so that's why I moved back to Dublin I got that job on a current affairs show called Cad Cainter and worked on that for nearly two years and then the vacancy in the newsroom came in so I moved into the newsroom then which is nearly 20 years Ago. It was 1999. Uh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And how long have you been doing the arts and media correspondent role? Uh, 96. So it's actually 11 years oh, this right. year. Yeah, my anniversary is old. I remember one of the first things I did was a Christmas feature. I got the job the end of November. So um, yeah, 1996.
0: And again, I suppose it's interesting because you've had the opportunity then to combine. Sorry, the journal-
1: 2006. Forgive me, 2006. 2006. Yeah. So yes, you're not, no, that, I'm old not then. that old. Yeah. No, no, no. 2006. Nearly 11 years. So you've had an opportunity to combine the
0: journalism, but also with the creative streak that
1: you obviously yeah. had. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I mean, I lo- I've done all sorts of journalism and the nice thing about the newsroom and RTE is they do tend to move you around a bit in the beginning. So I worked in the Foreign Desk, worked in the Oireachtas unit, which is great because I do love politics as well, worked on the General News Desk. But I did find that I naturally gravitated towards the arts-based story and, and I take them very seriously, you know, which I think is important for an arts journalist. It's not just the bit at the end of the bulletin. The it is as bit. important, yeah. No, as a story, it's as important as anything else on the news on the news agenda that day. So I did find myself, if there was ever a choice gravitating towards those stories. And, uh, and the vacancy came up then and I got it. So I was absolutely thrilled.
0: And you obviously in that role get a chance to interview authors all the time. So did that eventually encourage, encourage you to put pen to paper?
1: I was putting pen to paper the whole time um, I was writing all the time In the even, background yeah, yeah in the background very much even when I got the job in Clare and in Kerry I had an ancient old Mac like it wasn't connected to the internet or anything but every time I moved There house, was no I had internet to, in exactly, those days I know <laughs> but I just remember this like if only I'd had a laptop I had this massive computer that with a desk that you had to trundle around in my Nissan Micro every time I moved house but I was always writing short stories not getting very far with them but always writing them and starting loads of novels and then before I got the job as the arts correspondent. I was on a seven day fortnight shift in RTE which means you work two days you're off two days. They're long days but you then do get days off in the middle. So I did write a novel at that stage. I wrote my first novel um, so I would have been in my late 20s then and that didn't get published. But did did you try to get it published? I did and it was a very it was actually nearly as good I would say as a creative writing course because um, it nearly made it and I got a lot of good feedback about it. Mm-hmm. So I did what you're supposed to do, which is send the first three chapters off to an agent and, and two agents did write back and one publisher asked to see the rest of it. So they didn't buy it in the end, but at least I was told, look, you're not useless. Do you so know you there, found there's that something encouraging there. though as opposed to disheartening? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean it's I look at it, now, it it shouldn't have been published. Like it wasn't good enough to be published. But it did mean that I could sit down and write. It was a hundred thousand words and I did everything wrong. Like the, the the minute I wrote the end I sent it off to a publisher. You know, didn't yeah. edit it or anything. But 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 at least it did tell me that I was able to to do the structure. And one particular agent wrote back and said, look, you can write, but you need a better idea. The idea isn't there. You can physically write. You can do that. You can hold the story together, but you don't have the big idea. And they were words that came back to me again then when I did write the first book that was going to be published. But yes, so that's the truth of the matter. I was always writing, always writing short stories. I think the advantage of being the arts correspondent was normalising it to an extent that's the thing about meeting authors when you when you all you want to do is write a book you have a mythical idea about authors that they're you know they're sitting there waiting for inspiration to 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 strike and (laughs) exactly but actually when you meet them and they're they're decent people and they have a sense of humour and you know and leading normal lives exactly that in itself was quite inspirational and why crime then to be honest with you it started with the story So this woman had written back to me and said, look, your story isn't big enough. That's how she described it. And I suppose you might call it a hook in business terms. You know, you do need a saleable hook, particularly for commercial fiction. And when I was getting married and then expecting my first child, I started to use these parenting websites. And being a journalist, I suppose, was extremely suspicious about them. And I could see all of these women giving away information about themselves that they didn't know. They thought they were anonymous but they were saying things like the part of Ireland they lived in or their husband's job or how many children they had and I realised Ireland being a very small country that you could spot somebody so my my nasty brain started to work over time and I started to think gosh there's a story here you know what if somebody was actually trying to trace somebody through one of these sites. So then I realised not only did I have a book but it was a crime book and I suppose the fact of the matter is I've always loved reading crime. Agatha Christie would have been my first adult book you know when you leave the the child side of the library to go to the adult side it would have been Agatha Christie I always read crime I never really thought I had the brain to do the Who whodunit which is why I never thought of myself being able to do it but actually once that idea came and I worked it through it was a crime novel and it was interestingly what you would now call domestic noir and mm-hmm. it was at kind of the beginning of that um, I can't even remember it was Gone Girl Out but there was the beginning of this feeling that crime was that sort of moving genre. to the domestic sphere and it just I suppose caught that zeitgeist and that was important too it being a first book and this is the thing you need it's a really difficult business to get into so Going back to the big idea, I had an agent at that stage and she was able to say, look, here's a book, internet, parenting website, women in the home. You know, it was ticking an awful lot of Just boxes. Worked. So I think it was the right book at the right time. It wasn't written for that reason. But, you know, as it happened, it was the right book. So you had an agent at that point. How had you gone around to get that? Yeah, um I had met her. A couple of years before, um, I actually met her at the Irish Book Awards while I was covering them. So I suppose that that is one way in which the job helped. Um, but she certainly didn't take me on or anything. But I just remember thinking, gosh, I really get on well with this woman. If I ever have a book, I will send it to her. And uh, her name is Sheila Crowley and she's not related to me. But we had had <laughs> a lot of fun that night kind of meeting and we were both S. Crowley and we'd had a chat. And she's an interesting woman because she's an Irish woman working for Curtis Brown in London so she really has her feet in kind of two camps she's got a lot of Irish authors but she's working in London so she's you know in touch very much with that part of the business so I always had it in the back of my head that I would send it to her and I did send her the first 30,000 words. And again, you know, on spec, okay, I knew her. Um, So there was, I suppose, a chance she'd read it. But Sheila's a very good businesswoman. She wasn't going to take on anybody she didn't think was going to be able to do it. And she read the first 30,000 and said, Yes, I like it. Come back to me when you've finished it. So again, you often hear about these people who have, Oh my God, they read the first three chapters and they gave me a million euro. You know, it wasn't like that. You had to still go and finish it. I had to still go and finish it. But at least I had this feeling in the back of my head look, if I finish this, somebody will read it. I'm not just writing it into a void, you know. So, literally having somebody say, I will read it when it's finished encouraged um, you. Encouraged me to finish it. So, I wrote, I got the idea, wrote it when I was expecting the first child and on maternity leave, sent it off to her then when I was pregnant with my second child and she agreed to take me on and tried to sell it when I was six weeks before the birth of the second child, which was actually lovely because there was no waiting for the big email. If I'd had nothing else in my mind, I would have done nothing but wait for her. But actually, I completely forgot about it and went off and had the baby. And uh, six weeks later, he was six weeks old when she rang to say I had the book deal. Oh, wow. And was it a one book deal or? Uh, Initially one and then they offered two more. Right. Okay, And you've just completed the third now. And, you know, authors always say to me as well
0: that book one is fine.
1: Book two is nearly like the problem child. How did you find it? Yeah, pretty much like that. I suppose book one, you've put your life into it. I think most people find there's an element of autobiography in Book one, you can't help it. It's what you've been dreaming of all your life, you know. And my book one was about a woman on maternity leave and I was on maternity leave. So Very, there you go. You a know. lot of parallels. Thankfully, I didn't try to, to murder anybody. I <laughs> must stress that. Not yes. as I murdered. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, second book then for me was a bit different because it was one I had tried and kind of put up on a shelf. The first 30,000 words was something I had written before and and it wasn't really working. But because I now had a series character, a detective, I inserted her into it. Um, And had you
0: made a conscious decision that it would be a series because it does feature um, Detective Sergeant Claire Claire Boyle Boyle in all
1: three? That was Sheila, actually. That was my agent. And that, again, is why it's so good to work with a professional. Um, I had never thought of that. My first book it was gonna be all about this woman who was using the internet and who was very lonely and looking for friends and that sort of thing. But there had the only reason I put a cop in it at all was because the very point of her being was that she was stuck at home with this baby so there was no way she could physically investigate the crime. The whole point was she was this very shy person, you know, behind a computer screen so I had to give her a guard. The guard was a minor character but once I started writing her she became more interesting and I made her pregnant so she could infiltrate the, the site and so on. And actually once Sheila read the book she immediately said yeah, make her bigger, she's good, we mm-hmm. like her and a series character if you're writing crime is better. So that's kind of, so that it was very collaborative in that sense. The first version of the book wouldn't have had her very 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 strongly at all and then by the time the book was finished she was the first chapter it was actually more about her and it also gave a structure then to the next two because the second book she comes back after maternity leave and the third book she has a toddler who becomes actually very much involved in the story so that, that did help in terms of the structure but again I suppose what you have to realise particularly I think in commercial fiction not sure about literary is you need to be able to take advice from people and work with people because Sheila gave me that advice and I took it. My first book needed lots of rewriting and I took that advice and I think if you're going to send away a precious, precious jewel of a book that nobody can ever touch you know, highly unlikely that's going to get better. And again at the end of the day these people are
0: experts mm. so it makes sense to listen exactly. to what they're saying because they do it on a day to day basis. Exactly and you're so
1: close to the book particularly your first book like most of us are years working on that first book because there's no guarantees so you're writing it and putting it away and writing and it's all you can think of and it's your absolute baby and for somebody to come back and say yeah slash slash red pen red <laughs> pen but you have to just put it aside and treat it like a job to that extent. Mm-hmm. Exactly and work, work to the deadlines as yeah. such
0: and you know how do you combine I mean your day job is busy writing books
1: is busy is it hard to sort of find the time to do both? Yeah it is really hard and you wouldn't do it if you didn't want to do it that's the honest truth you wouldn't do it certainly wouldn't do it for the money or you wouldn't do it you know for there's easier ways to get your name out there you know so you have to absolutely love it and, and y-
0: you've said before you know you write in the car you'll write in mm-hmm. a local cafe or whatever i would actually find that quite difficult i think to do it but as you say you just you wherever
1: this you snatch the time yeah. wherever you can yeah you do it wherever you can and the funny thing is i think my style has kind of evolved now to be able to adapt to that you know um i often dream about these writers retreats that people (laughs) go away for a week but I'm not sure if I could do more than 500 2,000 words a day now because my brain has evolved to just write in in bursts so I'm off every second Monday on parental leave at the moment so I have the morning before I collect my kids so I can get quite a lot then but I can get quite a lot done for example in the space of a film if my husband brings the kids to a film and I go into the nearest Starbucks and I can do that burst of an hour and you know and you have an I'm hour. then I'm done. Yeah, and then I'm done. And part of that could be the journalistic training as well, which mm. definitely does help. You, as you say, you're literally used to deadlines. I have an hour. And know. aside from your agent, um,
0: do you show the copy to anybody else to get a, a view from while you're writing it?
1: I do. I have a couple of friends who I used to send a lot of my books to. Um, and then I have one friend in particular who's actually, I think, would make a really good editor herself. She's a reader Um, so I send it to a couple of friends and if they have if they all come back with different ideas I kind of ignore it if they all come back with the one thing then I think you know you have to have it changed you know so if they all come back and say X isn't working then you're going to listen to that but the other friend then um as I say, would make a really good editor. She lives in Canada, Caroline, and I send it to her quite early on and she goes through with a red pen and she's a thriller reader and she's a crime reader and she will immediately spot something that isn't working or is it believable and it was very important that I send her my first one because she doesn't have kids and I really needed to know this book was so set on a parenting website mm. and it was so you know intertwined with first children and all that I really needed to send it to somebody who didn't have kids who wasn't part of that world to see did it still work as a book and thankfully it did and she gave me such good advice in that that she now kind of is the first reader so she gets it fairly early on and then I send it to my agent as well and the agent would have a good look at it before it would go off to an editor. And take it from there. So is book four in the pipeline then? It is, yeah. Yeah, it is. Where where are we at the moment? Um, I'm kind of well into it, you know, well into it. Not quite halfway there, but there's a good good structure. I'm not a planner. Um, I have an idea of what's happening in the book, but I'm not somebody who absolutely plots kind of who done it or what's going to happen towards the end because I find that changes anyway. So I'm letting it evolve, but it's a little bit different. It doesn't have Claire in it. I'm just taking a break from Claire for one book. Um, so And how have you found that? Considering you got to know her so well yeah, in the first three. I have to say I'm enjoying it, you know, it's a completely different type of book. It's um it's set in West Cork. It's not a police procedural. There is an element of mystery in it, but it's not so much like it is a crime novel because there's a mystery in it, but it's more an old school mystery than, than a police procedural. You more know, high than a type A little bit, yeah, kind of big country house type thing, yeah, with with an element of spookiness in it as well. And so, when will we see that on the shelves? Um, I would hope to have a good first draft done by next summer. That's the plan, and then. We'll see and what then, happens. and going back to Claire Boyle, I mean, is there a chance we could see her ever on our screens? Do you think? That'd be lovely. (laughs) (laughs) That that. that would be lovely, yes. Um, There have been a few inquiries and some chats. It's, you know, it's very hard to get something from book to screen. Certainly I have had chats with people who think she would work very well. But I think... I always am too wary about saying, oh, there's been loads of interest, you know, because so many of these things get commissioned and not get made. Mm-hmm. But certainly a couple of people have read it. Yes, of course, I think she'd be fabulous on screen. Um I certainly wouldn't, Yeah, I <laughs> wouldn't say no to any offers. But um, I always thought the first one actually would be a tougher one to make because it's so internet based. I think it can be quite hard to put an internet story on the TV. Uh, the third one to me is probably my favourite book for many reasons. And also because I think it's, it's quite tight in terms of scripting and editing and it's very much set in one part of Dublin and uh, I certainly, I think that one is the most televisual. And considering the books
0: are set, you know, quite strongly in Ireland, how are sales then in other countries? Um,
1: Doing okay. I mean, it's, it's a different, what happens, for example, with the third one, like that's not really out in Britain until next month what they do in Ireland is they bring out a thing called the, the trade paperback which is the one you see you know in Easton's in the three for two it's like an A4 size and that's promoted heavily here but they don't really sell it all in England so mine it'll be out in the UK in early January so I really don't know and that's kind of when the promotion and the push happens then it's been sold in first one was sold in France and Germany as well which was lovely Oh wow um, So do you have the translated copies? I do yeah <laughs> yeah. the German one in particular did a lot of work with me actually the German Translator, because I suppose it's the language is quite colloquial in it. So we had some lovely chats about, um, <laughs> you know, who's your one and what's the press and all that sort of thing. So she explained that to me. Please. Yeah, exactly. The Germans were quite forensic in terms of their translation, whereas the French just rang me up and said, We've translated your book. And I said, Thanks very much. <laughs> in France, it's called hashtag Help, which I think oh. is lovely. Yeah, hashtag Help. I think it's a gorgeous title and it's a really kind of stark cover. Um, and the French publishers are really big on social media so I don't speak French so I won't even try to say their names but they're very very good at sending me pictures of the book in shops with little kind of Irish flags on it and stuff. Nice so they clearly it. do promotions. Yeah, a little
0: thrill every exactly. now and again. Exactly. Yes. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I know you. You've been on a number of panels as
0: well uh, with a lot of other Irish crime writers over the years, um, and you all seem to actually get on
1: quite well and seem to be quite supportive of each other. Is that important? Do you yeah, think? It's incredible. Uh, I was so surprised in a way because I did wonder when I wrote the first book would there be any. And the negativity from people who've been around because I have a job in RTE, you know, yes, I was going to get a little bit more publicity because of the day job. People would know the name anyway. But no, absolutely the opposite. The the attitude in the community seemed to be if you've gone to the trouble of writing a book, you can pull up to the table. Mm. You know, it's as simple as that. I think because they all know it's not easy. Nobody just gets a book deal because they have a job in RTE. They still have to go and write the book, you know. So, um, So, no, people have been great and the panels are brilliant. Like, the reading community has been really interesting to meet as well and you probably know that through the podcast and so on you've got Facebook book clubs and the Ricochet one being the big one in Ireland and you get to meet like readers are quite passionate and I know reading in general probably isn't as popular as it used to be but what seems to have happened is people who do still read do so very passionately and engage with authors and now have disability to talk to them on social media which they never had before so um, so yeah there are definitely readers out there which is fantastic And I think the fact that because
0: Ireland is so small and you can can go to book
1: festivals yeah. and actually
0: physically exactly. meet the authors. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a lot of people really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, exactly. They do, and uh, and a lot of women as well, which has been, as I say, fantastically supportive as well. It's kind of changed the genre in Ireland to an extent. You know, we do have this domestic noir and books set in families and and so on. So it's yeah, it's a really healthy really healthy state at the moment great well Sinead Crowley we're looking forward to to seeing book number four on the shelves next year Uh, thank
0: you very much for joining us here on Inside Books and don't forget that Sinead's latest one One Bad Turn is in all bookshops now follow us on Twitter on Inside Books IRE or email us on Inside Books at UniqueMedia.ie Now, it's the perfect time of the year to get out the diary and look at what book festivals and events are taking place across the country in the coming months. They're a really great opportunity to mix with other book lovers and of course, meet some of your favourite authors. And if you're writing a book, they're a great way as well to learn more about how the industry works. Well, Catherine Quinn is the Events Manager for the Irish Book Awards, so she's well placed to tell us about some of the book festivals and events that are happening. Now, the first one, Catherine, is
2: the Limerick Literary Festival and this is happening in February. Hi Breda, yes. The Limerick Literary Festival will be taking place from the twenty-second until the twenty-fifth of February this year. The theme for this year's festival is Bridging the Gap. And uh, this festival was originally known as the Kate O'Brien Weekend. But obviously there is a lot more literature around Limerick these days as mm, well. There is. So there's some really interesting events taking place, including um, one which may be of some interest for budding authors, which is a, a workshop that's going to be taking place on the 24th of February from 11 to 1. Um, and it's a workshop that's being given by Sarah Moore Fitzgerald and Dan Mooney. And the theme of the workshop is how to get your no- how to get your novel published oh, from pitch to publication. Interesting. That'll be of interest to anybody who is in that process, obviously, at the moment and there's lots of other authors who will be there as well Kevin Barry Fergal Keane Lisa McInerney there's loads there is yes and actually one of the events that I would most be looking forward to myself is one which will be held in Dolan's um, and it's called The Revolution Will Not Be spotify oh, and I'm, I'm not sure well, I'm not sure you can have a Limerick event without one of the rubber bandits there so Blind Boy Boat Club who was recently nominated for um, a BGE Irish Book Award will be in attendance um, and also Kevin Barry will be helping him out with that event
0: OK that sounds great so for more details Else, where can people go?
2: Uh, Limerickliteraryfestival.com. So fairly shortly after that then in early March we've the Ennis Book Club Festival. Yes this is Ireland's only book club festival and um, I suppose what's really interesting about it is over the last number of years so many book clubs have been formed around the country mm. that it's great to have something that is specifically for people who are interested in coming together and you know finding out more about books as a group. And um, there's some really nice events I think taking place with um, at the NS Book Club Festival including a crime night which is something that oh. I would absolutely love. Um, Liz Nugent will be taking part oh, along right. with Julie Parsons and Andrea Carter. Um, John Connolly who is the author of He, a novel which is based on the life of Stan Laurel. He will be taking part in a conversation with Rick O'Shea. Um, and then there's also I think a really interesting event called 10 Books You Should Read. I'm always interested in finding out about what other people are reading and try and use that as a way to get some inspiration for my own reading list rather than necessarily getting it from I suppose, from people in the industry. It's great to kind of find out what my peers are reading. So I'd be really interested in that one there. And who's hosting that part? Um, it will be chaired by Katie Hayes and then Jane Urquhart and Carlo Gebbler, um who's a member of East Donna, will be, um will be taking part within that discussion.
0: Great. And one of the other interesting events as well taking place at the Ennis Book Club Festival is Ruth Fitzmaurice. She's going to be there as well.
2: Yes, Ruth is the author of the stunning um, debut I Find My Tribe. She was um, she actually was the winner of the Best Newcomer Award at this year. Irish Book Awards, and she's going to be in conversation with McHeaney um, during that weekend as well. So that festival is taking place again from the fourth, or excuse me, from the second to the fourth of March. And the um, website, if you're looking for more details, is nsbookclubfestival.com. Brilliant. Then back to Dublin,
0: we have mountains to see in Leary and that's taking place from the twenty-first of March to the twenty-fifth of March. So what's happening there?
2: Yeah, it's a real staple of the book festival it calendar at this is. stage. Yeah, it's um, impossible <laughs> to get through March without. Kind of heading out to the seaside and uh, getting yourself a teddy's ice cream and mingling with some of the best authors around. So there's some nice stuff going on here. Olivia O'Leary will be um, holding it an evening with Robert Pinsky on the 23rd of March. So that's for anyone maybe who's interested in poetry. Um, Adrian Dunbar is going to be directing a performance of T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland in the Pavilion on Saturday the 24th of March. Now Adrian Dunbar is from my hometown of Enniskillen but he's probably best known for people as um, one of the detectives in the BBC series The Line of Duty. Um, he tends to do quite some really interesting projects so I'm sure that's going to be a great production and then um, the BBC foreign correspondent Fergal Keane um, and David McCullough from RTE will be in a conversation again in the Pavilion Theatre on Saturday the 24th of March so I'm sure that'll be um, an interesting one when you get two journalists who are also writers together it's just interesting to see their thought process.
0: Absolutely and more details on that can be found where? At to the mountainstothesea.ie Brilliant and you've a couple of others there as well you wanted to point
1: out.
2: Yeah there's just um, there's some great writing festivals around the country. Not necessarily Dublin based. Um, so there's a few here. The one is the Festival of Writing and Ideas, which will be taking place in June in Boris in County Carlow. The Hinterland Festival of Literature and Arts will be taking place in Kales in County Meath. And um, the Children's Book Festival will be taking place during the month of October in Wexford. There's also an Irish language literary festival called Imram. Um, generally, that takes place in October in Dublin and around the country. And then for those of us of the Northern Irish persuasion, there are two interesting festivals that I've Find that um, for later this year, that should um, be really interesting events. One is the John Hewitt International Summer School, which will take place in Armagh in July. And then for fans of Benedict Kiley, the Oma Literary Festival will be honouring him this year um, from the 20th, 20th to the 22nd of October. Really great range, I have to say. I mean, there's absolutely yeah. no excuse not to, as we said,
0: pull out the diary and That's make it. sure to, to get some of those, to get along to some of those at some point this year. That's great. Catherine Quinn, thanks for that. Thanks a million, Brida. Now, the next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at InsideBooks, E. If you want to hear other episodes of Inside Books, just search for us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes. I'm Breeder Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.